0: One of the things that I, I have always enjoyed just about church, uh, the fact that it comes every week, every Sunday. is just kind of a, a time and a place for me to be reminded about God. I know sometimes uh, throughout our week, uh, things can happen and go on, and, and obviously we would know God is there, and, and hopefully we're being reminded by God on a daily basis. But there's something about gathering together, singing of his songs, hearing the testimonies of others or just opening up his word and seeing God that that helps me be reminded of the fact that God is so unique and so different than than everything else that that is available that's out there. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before I know a few times I have I remember one time going to Africa uh, and seeing an African lion and realizing that the Pittsburgh lion wasn't quite the same as an African lion. I had an experience a few months ago when I went to, uh, with my family, we had a chance to go up to Maine and then Boston, and we ate at a, a really authentic uh, Italian restaurant. They served us a meatball with uh, some uh, kind of homemade uh, mozzarella, and it's like, as I'm eating this meatball, I realize I've never ate a meatball in my life before, because all, everything else I had before was not really a, a meatball. This is, this is a meatball. Sometimes I I think when we uh, recognize and see God in comparison to anything else, whether it's our own kind of uh, desires or our own kind of belief in what we think or someone else's belief or the world's ideas, we, we recognize that there's nothing compared to God. That's one of the things I think is so important that we stay engaged in the culture. Not, not trying to tell you that you have to win the culture, you have to conquer the culture. Sometimes we use those military terms and, and, and it moves to an aggressiveness. I, there are moments where that is important, but most important is that we engage the culture to remind ourselves, but also remind others, there is a God that is not like anything else. It's one of the great things you see even in the, the Acts, Acts 17, Paul in that kind of famous moment when he goes and he tells the, uh, the, the, the culture there, the Greek culture, that the, the one statue they don't know, he knows what it is. Let me tell you because he's unlike your other statues, unlike your other gods. You see, that's some of the emphasis, some of the importance that we have As we talk and we look at scripture, as we dive into some of these different psalms, we're going to look at Psalm 27 here this morning. And it really is a moment when David is looking at his troubles (coughs) and the fear that those troubles produce and realizing nothing compares to his God. Now, There's a level of confidence that comes from David that I don't know if we understand I don't know if that confidence comes because as a young boy he would fight off the lions or the bears for his sheep. Or as a young man he fought the giant and Goliath. Or if he just had this great understanding that in comparison to everything else there was no other God. Now David wasn't perfect and we understand that. This doesn't mean he got everything right all the time. But he had this level of confidence That in the face of fear, he wasn't going to be overcome by it. Oftentimes we use that language and that terminology, and yet we still believe in ourselves. We still talk even sometimes, even when we use those words like faith over fear. It's like, I have to have faith, and I have to have more faith than the fear. What is that? It's just a self-focused idea that I have to have this willpower to overcome. David, in a sense, in this psalm, you're going to see his faith over fear was not that he had it, but that he could just stay in the presence of God. It's a fascinating thing. We don't even realize sometimes how much ingrained the ideas of the, the world and the culture we live in. is because we, we individualize so much of it. And, and we, we take it and we say, well, I just have to have more faith. I have to have more power or more strength. And, and, and we attach God to it, but we don't really believe in God. David knew something different. And so Psalm 27. We're going to look through this entire psalm, kind of work through it. There's some key points where we're going to stop out. He starts out by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Right off the bat, David is beginning this idea by highlighting three concepts for him to realize that his confidence is in God and who is God compared to my enemy uses these words light, salvation, and stronghold. And you know, as we've been studying hopefully through the Psalms, there's this parallelism that goes on. And so when you see some of these things uh, in threes, we recognize there's connections to them, especially light and salvation. They are used together to help explain that. The understanding of the word salvation literally means deliverance. And David is speaking in, in very specific terms of deliverance from this moment. He's not, he's not looking past it. He's not sugarcoating the, the real enemy that's around him, the real fear that that's causing. And he is looking for deliverance. He knows that the Lord is his deliverance. How often we don't want to acknowledge these things, right? How often we don't understand the deliverance, the salvation of our lives because we have so many other things for salvation in our lives. Again, this is why sometimes the, the, the having concentrated moments of prayer and fasting are so important in our lives to, to be able to say, is my salvation in X, Y, or Z, whatever that may be? Or, or let me take a moment and, and separate myself from that. To remind myself that my salvation, my my deliverance comes from the Lord. David knew of this deliverance greater than than all these other things of experience and wisdom and friends and and resources. And he is is recognizing this is where his confidence will come from. Now, light, we can obviously not understand how important that was to David as a shepherd, understanding the security that, that brings to it, that, that, that <coughs> the enemies <coughs> love the cover of darkness. It allows them to sneak up on you, allows them to hide, allows them to do all sorts of things by the cover of that darkness. And so uh, this light exposes that. It brings them to, to this moment where, where he can see things for what they are. How often do we hear those noises and we turn on the lights and we recognize, oh, it was just the wind or it's just an old house making noise. It really isn't the the boogeyman living in our closet. You see, light brings that exposure and this idea of God's presence is going to bring that light to them. These two terms are used and connected into the word "stronghold," which brings a, a sense of kind of a, a cord of three strands that can't easily be broken. We often hear that in those uh, you know cute little wedding ceremonies that we have. But it, this phrase and this concept, David's using it in light and in salvation, and now stronghold. This this unity of these three concepts, God's or David's confidence is not only in these things, but he also calls them my stronghold, or another way we'd say it is my refuge. Such a small word, but it it means so much when we recognize this is my light and my salvation. My stronghold is because of what the Lord has given to me and who he is, and it is personalized in that. Now all this, then, David goes on in verse 2. By recognizing and by acknowledging that the evil doers are around. They, They want to eat his flesh. And David, again, is very explicit with his words, his imagery here. It's not literally saying, eat my flesh. But the fact is, they want to devour him. They want to destroy him. They want to wipe him off the planet in this. My adversary, my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, yet I will be confident." And we don't know exactly which kind of moment David was facing in this Psalm 27, different ideas. Maybe this was when Saul was coming with his army and David's bouncing around from city to city, actually into caves, different caves, hiding from uh, this army trying to come after him. We We don't exactly know in this moment, but what we recognize is David acknowledges the reality because he's not going through this moment just as a fair weather fan. He's not just sitting on the sidelines watching the action. He's actually in the midst of this moment. This is a real moment. This is a difficult situation for David. In fact, maybe even he was recognizing and reminding himself back when he fought Goliath, and he realized, he said in this moment, he said to Goliath, come to me and I'll give you your flesh to the birds the air and the beasts of the field. He, he, he knew what it was like to face difficulty. David's faith wasn't just born out of just sitting around and being a, a, a participant in someone else's kind of moment. He, he knew it for himself. And that's why he used the word, my stronghold. He knew that, that God would show up and, be, and deliver him because God had done it before. And so perhaps David recognized this when he used this term and his, these, these phrases. And yet he comes and now in verse 4 and something that is just, just mind-boggling to me. I kind of remember studying this passage a, a few years ago and it just kind of gripped me in this moment. That the one thing that David would ask is that the one thing that he would seek after is that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I don't ever have that moment where there's one thing that I could ask of the Lord in times of trouble. But I would kind of bet it wouldn't be just I want the presence of the Lord in my life. Just being honest. I I would be more vengeful. Lord, I want you to take away my enemies. I'd be more self-protected. Lord, I need you to steer me towards the, the, the right path so I make the right decision. I mean, so often I, I ask those kind of prayers I, if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. Lord, I, I want you to take away my problems. Lord, I want you to steer me in the right direction. How, how, how very little do I just say, Lord, I want to be in your presence. I want to I dwell in your house forever. I want to gaze upon your beauty. I want to inquire from your temple. I want to know more of you, God. I want to sit in your shade. I want to sit in your shadow. I want to hang out in your presence, God. This is what David is asking for. This is what his determination is, his purpose. So often dominated his prayer in his life. He, he, it was never long absent from this Thomas thought that the men of one idea are irresistible. And there is something irresistible about David's request in the midst of this time of struggle. The presence of God. When you think about this idea, it's kind of amazing how we often forget about it because the entire Old Testament is dominated about the presence of God. That's what the Israelites sought after. That's what the Ark of the Covenant was. That's what the tabernacle, that's what the temple was. Then we see it in the Gospels and people trying to come to find Jesus so they could just touch him. They could just see him. They could just somehow get his attention. And then Jesus tells us that I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come and bring someone greater. I'm going to give someone to you. He's going to be a comforter. He's going to be with you always. Jesus, even in the fact when he said the Great Commandment or the Great Commission... Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, uh, uh, you know, all that I've commanded to you. I'll baptize them. There's there too. Sorry, I forgot that part. And then what does he say at the end? And surely I'll be with you to the end of the ages. Jesus is promising his presence. All throughout scripture we see the presence of God, such a significant thing for God and his people that it's almost a no-brainer that David would want to seek that but also questions why we don't want to seek it or it isn't on the forefront of our minds. You see, David knew of this beauty in the presence of God. He knew there was something sweet and special about it. Something that he craved after. He continues on in this psalm. We don't, again, have time to look at every verse, but he seems to continue to find different ways. The house of the Lord, his temple, his dwelling, his tabernacle, all these different phrases talking about being in the presence of God. David didn't want to lose that in times of trouble and fear. And so if David didn't want to lose it, he must understand it was probably easy for him to lose it. Which then brings us back to ourselves again. And recognizing in the times of fear and trouble, we can quickly lose the, the desire to be in the presence of God. That's a real thing. It's a real thing that David was, was worried about and and not wanting to happen and so we got to recognize wow when difficulties or trouble come I can lose the presence of the Lord in 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 the desire to that not that I can actually lose it I should be careful how I say that I didn't mean that you can lose it you can lose the desire to want it because we're so focused on other stuff Spurgeon says this way He says, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which ever can be engaged, the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. Even in the fact that we call God Father and we can be in his presence. And as Spurgeon says, the loftiest, the greatest, the highest levels of thought is thinking of the character, the nature of who God is. This is where David sits, and this is the thought that David has as he reflects now in a prayer, starting in verse 7. Again, just want you to kind of look again what David's intention, what his focus is, what his desire is. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. David wants to be more and more with God. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord took me in. (coughs) Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have rise against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I will, shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You can just hear David's his cry, his, his plea, his desire for, for this relationship and presence of God. That nothing else matters in this moment. Yeah, he, he does wish in defeat that, that the enemies don't win and yes, he wants Uh, good things to happen. But more than that, he, he wants to be in the presence of God because in the presence of God, he knows there is goodness. There is salvation. There is light. That God is his stronghold, his refuge. You see, these are moments, again, where we need to remind ourselves as we live life and as we're facing all sorts of different things, who God is in comparison of these things. This God who we talk about, this God who we proclaim, this is the God who is the same God we looked at last week, who's omniscient and, and omnipresent, that he knows us and so well that he wants invited into our inter lives. that he uh, knows us if we go to the highest of heavens to the lowest of lows. He knows the very thoughts of our minds. He was even there when our creation as we were uh, just at the beginnings in our mother's womb. He, he knows us and knows all things, and he wants to be in this with us. He's inviting us in. And David's saying, I don't want to lose that, God. I don't want to lose that desire. I don't want to lose that uh, intentionality. I don't want to lose that focus. I don't want my fear and my worries and my enemies to, to take that away from me. I want to stay with you. So in this times of fear, this prayer of presence becomes so significant. This is why it's important that even in these moments, even before we make decisions or or we move forward on things, we just take these moments to say, Lord, just just let me stay in your shadow. I love that thought because if, if you've ever been on a hot day, you know how valuable that shadow is. You know how limited it is as well, too. Because if you go in one direction or you go in another direction, you can, you can easily lose that shadow of protection, that shadow of strength and deliverance. This is what God is, is saying that is available. This is what David so longs for. And then he hits us at the very end with a little bit of a challenge I don't know if it's a challenge for his own heart or a challenge because of what the, where he comes to, but he just simply says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Again, that, 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 that parallelism, saying the same thing twice, back to back, wait for the Lord, we recognize there's greater emphasis on that. And he says, be strong and take your heart courage. So, so there's a moment again that David recognizes that even in this desire, he can lose it. Because he can get impatient. Or he can get worried about everything else. But his strength is to stay in the presence of God. His strength isn't to say, okay, now I need to, you know, uh, bulk up and I need to take some superpowers. I need to go and, and conquer my foes. His strength is to say, I don't want to lose my desire to be in the presence of God. And to take courage to not let other things start to pull me away from that. It's so easy for us to happen. I mean, we we know this, right? We've had moments in our lives where, where we feel God's presence. And then life starts to happen. Jobs and families and health, and just, uh, just the delusions of entertainment and social things, or, or all sorts of things. I mean, there's a whole list of categories that, that are out there that are trying to pull us away. They're trying to distract us, trying to, to get us in a different place. And David tells us wait upon the Lord, be strong in waiting. Be courageous in waiting. And if you didn't hear me the first time, let me say it a second time. Wait for the Lord. Just wait upon him. This concept, this challenge for us, you can say it to wait in his shadow or resist the tension. We can acknowledge that there is tension. We can acknowledge there's real enemies. We can acknowledge there's real worries, real fears, real things out there. But as a a, a follower of Christ, someone who believes that God is who he says he is, and his name and his character, someone that believes that God wants a relationship with me and is not going to forsake me or to leave me, that he will be with me, that I then have to be reminded that I want to be in that presence as well too. And even if days and weeks and months and years come and I don't see the things that I want to happen the way that I want them to happen, I will be strong and courageous in my waiting in his shadow. Because there's no other place I'd want to be than to gaze upon his beauty to inquire in his temple to to be in the presence of the lord to have the, the 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 temple the house whatever terminology and phrases are used i want god to be in my life and me in his